I study the Bible so I know it well. Yeah, can't let nobody make myself a sell. Can't even lie, yeah, I still struggle, but I know myself. I fear God, I told him I don't want to go to hell. Pray for the sermon, I'll be asking what's the gift in me. Must be this music, cause the world think I'm so sick with it. I switch my style, some people love it, some trying to get with it. I think what matters most is I'm living out what's God written. I make mistakes, but I embrace them, I'm still human. I escape from that place that made me feel ruined. So every day I still chase what I think I'm losing. And pray to God in the end that I don't look stupid. Why do I feel I'm unable, double-minded, I'm unstable? Wanna put all me on the table so God can make me an angel. Was living life like Cain, cause I was jealous of Abel. God told me, look up, child, I just wanna save you. I need to hear your voice in life so I could get through this. For you, I shoot for the stars every time and I don't miss. Every time I drop a hit, I still don't feel the bliss. And deep down, I know it's only cause I'm still living in sin. You transform my pen, they laughed at me, now I'm laughing with them. Transform my gifts so now I can't even rap with them. I need to use my talents cause the devil be distracting them. that it was a challenging time for people but they made ultimately made their own choices there was no there was no compulsory vaccination people made their own choices the government is planning to require every single teacher at every level and all support staff who work with children to be vaccinated there was no compulsory vaccination news hub can reveal the mandate chris hipkins is taking to cabinet on monday is a mighty big stick Every educator who works with a child will have to be vaccinated. People made their own choices. I can now confirm that we'll be extending this requirement to large parts of our health and education workforces as well. There was no compulsory vaccination. Cabinets agreed that high-risk workers in health and the health and disability sector will need to be fully vaccinated by the 1st of December. People made their own choices. This includes general practitioners, pharmacists, community health nurses, midwives, paramedics, and all healthcare workers and sites where vulnerable patients are treated, including intensive care units. There was no compulsory vaccination. We'll also be including certain non-regulated healthcare workforces, including aged residential care, home and community support services, kaupapa Māori health providers, and non-government organisations that provide health services. People made their own choices. Schools and early learning staff and the support people who work with them who have contact with children and students will need to be fully vaccinated by the 1st of January 2022. There was no compulsory vaccination. That includes home-based educators, all those who support people in our schools and early learning services, such as teacher aides, administration and maintenance staff, and contractors. People made their own choices. Secondary schools in Kura will also be required to keep a COVID-19 vaccination register of their students. There was no compulsory vaccination. Students that don't produce evidence of vaccination will be considered unvaccinated. People made their own choices. What would the ramifications be for teachers or those in health workforce not to be vaccinated? Ultimately, in the health workforce, they will not be able to work in those roles. There was no compulsory vaccination. In the education workforce, uh, from next year, they won't be able to work in those roles. People made their own choices. So my message to New Zealanders who have not yet had their first dose, if you want summer, if you want to go to bars and restaurants, get vaccinated. If you want to get a haircut, get vaccinated. If you want to go to a concert or a festival, get vaccinated. If you want to go to a gym or a sports event, get vaccinated. There was no compulsory vaccination. If you are not vaccinated, there will be everyday things you will miss out on. People made their own choices. Uh, everyone will be able to get a vaccine between now and the end of the year. Uh, but of course, you know, and I want every New Zealander to come forward, but human behaviour suggests that there will be some people that we have to actually really go out and look for. There was no compulsory vaccination. Uh, but I, I can't say that, you know, that we're not going to have some hesitant people or some people who just haven't come forward that we don't have to go out and find next year. People made their own choices. Cabinet has decided today that vaccinations will be mandated for everyone who works in any workplace where a vaccine certificate is required required for entry. There was no compulsory vaccination. This includes hospitality, events, gyms and close proximity businesses such as hairdressers and barbers. People made their own choices. Once the notice period commences, the employee will have that amount of time to get vaccinated. There was no compulsory vaccination. The employee will be able to retain their employment if they get vaccinated in that period, but their employment will be terminated if they do not. A mighty big stick. People made we are about to see some serious stuff hit the fan. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious... Yeah, 
Those aren't my words. Those are the words of two separate analysts who believe we are in for a tornado of problems, both on the economic front and on the war front. Of course, arguably the economic front will have global ramifications. But over the past 24 hours, NATO made a massive mistake. But it was intentional. It was an intentional mistake. It was a blunder launching an attack against Russia with a sophisticated attack on the Russian Navy. Big mistake. <laughs> And Putin knows exactly what they did. And of course, we are watching now to see how bad this actually gets. We just saw our clearest sign yet that an all-out war is coming. And if you're an investor, you need to pay attention to what's about to happen to the global economy as we slide into this recession at the beginning of 2024. We've got a bunch of big stories that I want to get to, and they're all tied together on energy, on debt, and war. So let's start with the war, which is incredibly important to understand because the United States wants to own Ukraine fully so that BlackRock and Vanguard and all of these other massive corporations can take full control of the land. Now, over the past few hours, intense fighting has broken out between NATO and Russia. NATO launched a massive attack on the Russian naval fleet in the Black Sea. This is an attack on Crimea, which is Russian territory. Therefore, NATO just launched a missile attack against Russia. Plain and simple. As former UN weapons inspector and friend of the show Scott Ritter points out, make no mistake, this was a NATO attack. This wasn't a Ukrainian attack against Russia. This was a NATO attack against Russia. That's the significance of it. Um, what Russia chooses to do, we'll, we'll find out. Before and during the attack, a U.S. Navy Boeing Poseidon aircraft was flying over Romania's Black Sea coast. We know what this was. I mean, but this couldn't have happened without American and British NATO assistance. Meanwhile, Ukrainian President Zelensky just went to Washington this week begging for more weapons and more money, and he vowed to continue the Ukrainian counteroffensive into the snowy winter. So wait a second. The entire spring and summer counteroffensive has been a failure, but now Ukraine is somehow going to pull off a massive offensive in the snow? Okay. How was, how was the meeting with uh, Zelensky, and did it change your mind at all? Or no. I mean, what, what the meeting revealed to me is, is that in the words of, the, of uh, President Zelensky, the, the conflict is a total stalemate, that's what he said, totally frozen, I believe, was what his words were, which is also what the administration told us yesterday. The administration told us yesterday they want to spend a hundred billion dollars more, our money, more, over the next year in the hopes that it will remain a stalemate. Which leads me to ask, what, what is the goal here? But meanwhile, Putin has been quiet. We know something big is coming, but there's more big pieces of news this morning, not just the physical fighting part, but the energy disaster that the West is about to face. So GP Morgan is out with an ominous warning this morning that we could face multiple energy crises over the next few years and get ready, he says, for $150 a barrel for oil. That would push gas prices to astronomical highs, unlike anything we've ever seen before. I mean, we're over $90 a barrel right now, and it's been crushing for a lot of businesses. And you, let me know in the comments below how much you're paying for gas where you live right now. Well, this JP Morgan analyst calling it a super cycle. I'd call it, frankly, a perfect storm. So all of those sanctions against Russian gas and oil are about to destroy the Western economies. Here's exactly what he said. Dear generalists, put your seatbelts on, he says, paraphrasing. While we believe the sector is in a structural upcycle and oil should normalize higher. So that's basically analyst speak for, oh shit, oil is about to hit $150 a barrel. An upcycle, normalized to the upside. He says the stupidity of moving towards a total green future and the Russian sanctions could push us into, quote, multiple oil-led energy crises in this decade potentially much more severe than the gas crisis seen in Europe in 2022. Of course this is happening. The war in Ukraine has pushed Saudi Arabia and Russia into a tighter alliance. Energy prices up 30% and rising. Experts say if you want to see what the U.S. is going to look like, just look at what's happening in Germany. President Biden depleted our stockpiles of oil reserves in order to score a few political points, leaving us totally vulnerable, at the same time provoking an all-out war with Russia. Smart move. China gets it. China's President Xi Jinping this weekend said getting rid of fossil fuels is unrealistic. He gets it. The West does not. As the AP reports, Germany went from being the envy of the world to the world's worst performing major developed economy. <laughs> they did it in a short amount of time. Well, what happened? 
Well, Russian sanctions happened, and they moved towards a green energy economy, a collapse of manufacturing and industry, and a total energy crisis. Of course, that spreads to all industries, namely housing. As The Economist reports this week, Germany's builders are on the verge of collapse in a housing crisis, thanks to an energy crisis, thanks to Russian sanctions. Turns out you need energy to build things. I guess these morons in the West didn't think about that. But it turns out they did think of this, because even last summer the warning signs were there. Economists were warning that entire sectors of Germany's economy would collapse, even as Bloomberg reported back then, we knew it was coming. And now the United States is facing a similar fate. Now to the other big news of this morning, the U.S. debt. We hit $33 trillion this week, a new all-time record, and the interest payments alone on the debt are nearing $1 trillion. Just the interest payments. But the analysts I'm speaking to are saying be very, very careful about the U.S. dollar right now, because if you've got your money sitting in cash, be very careful. This week, the U.S. dollar surged on some good news. And the, you know what the good news was? That Europe is in trouble. So stocks took a hit as investors jumped out of stocks into U.S. dollars. Are they crazy? I mean, investing in U.S. dollars when the government is facing a shutdown, $33 trillion in debt, a global economy grinding into recession by 2024. Well, thanks, but no thanks. I'll stay away. But let me know in the comments. But we are picking a fight with China. It's the same thing over Taiwan. The same people that say that Ukraine has every right to invade and conquer their breakaway provinces in the Donbass and that Russia has no right to protect the independence of the Donbass are the same people that say that China has no right whatsoever to retake their renegade province, Taiwan, and we have every right to play the role of Russia in guaranteeing the independence of that breakaway province, which just goes to show you that the rules-based liberal international order of law and cooperation is a lie. That these are it's purely the American empire and its interests at stake. We would go to nuclear war and it would be the end of the world. Over Taiwan, you've got to be kidding me. It's wrong, it's crazy, and it's wrong. And the more that we arm up Taiwan and create this situation, again, well, we're calibrating the weapons to deter China from invading. No, we're provoking them. America's arming up of Taiwan is why China has armed up now an invasion force and is prepared to invade. We need to back the hell out of there now. Good morning, everyone. I wanted to bring you this breaking news on this Monday out of China because we now have our clearest sign yet that the United States dollar is in real trouble. We're going to show you what China and Japan are doing this morning. Heck, even add in Saudi Arabia into the mix. And, and all of it has me very, very worried about the future of the U.S. dollar and what is about to happen to our money supply. I've been trying to sound this alarm for many, many months on this show. I hope it is sinking in because the data does not lie. Again, I want to be very clear. The U.S. dollar is not going to collapse overnight. Large structures don't suddenly collapse. Cracks and fissures, along with a controlled demolition, bring down large structures. So in this metaphor, the large structure is the U.S. economy. And make no mistake about it, we are watching a controlled demolition. It's all intentional on the part of the Fed and the United States Treasury. Now, before I show you this new data out of China and Japan, I want you to understand something about the U.S. Treasuries. As my grandmother used to say, U.S. Treasuries are one of the safest investments. I literally remember my grandmother telling me this. Why? Well, it's pretty simple. They are issued by the United States government. They are backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government for whatever that's worth. As of this video today, Monday, September 25th, 2023, by the way, happy fall, everybody. The amount of U.S. Treasuries outstanding is more than $30 trillion. The biggest foreign holders of these Treasury bills, Japan, China, the U.K., they give the United States money and then they expect to be paid back with interest, right? So the U.S. then gets its money from China, then can send it off to Ukraine and other places that we love to send our money to. As Senator Rand Paul said this week, it's madness. It's as if no one has noticed that we have no extra money to send to Ukraine. Our deficit this year will exceed $1.5 trillion. Borrowing money from China to send it to Ukraine makes no sense. Okay, but that part isn't news. But the big news is that China and Japan, and now Saudi Arabia, are dumping U.S. Treasuries like a bad habit, like an ex-girlfriend. And we just got the August numbers and they took a huge dump. Many more countries have been selling billions of dollars worth of U.S. Treasuries and it's accelerating. China's U.S. Treasury holdings fell to just 835 billion. Still a lot of money, but it's a huge decline. It's the lowest in 14 years. 
And as we've covered here on the show before, China's been selling off U.S. Treasuries for over 10 years. But what's stunning in this new data is that Beijing just sold off 10% of its entire holdings of U.S. Treasuries. Remember, we use the sale of these Treasuries to finance just about everything that we hold dear in the United States, from Social Security to all of the wars that the United States loves to launch. This is all interrelated, folks. Saudi Arabia is the latest country to dump a huge amount of U.S. Treasury holdings. Just look at this this morning. According to CNBC, China and Saudi Arabia have been buying up huge amounts of gold instead. Yes, so dumping U.S. Treasuries for gold. So a few months ago, we reported on how this trend was beginning at these central banks. A lot of these central banks were dumping U.S. Treasuries and instead buying up as much gold bullion as they can. Heck, Vladimir Putin in Russia last year made the switch told his citizens, go out and buy as much gold as you can. And the central bank buying up as much gold as it can, dumping U.S. Treasuries. It's accelerating, and it accelerated in August, just a few days ago. New numbers pushing gold purchases in China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, Poland to record highs. So to put a bow on this declining U.S. dollar point, my friend Tucker Carlson just sat down for an interview in the Swiss publication Die Weltfolk. Now, he's been traveling throughout Europe in the Middle East, interviewing world leaders. He's been interviewing a lot of presidents, prime ministers, sheiks. Uh, it's pretty apparent what he sees, and he sees the writing on the wall. He says the US dollar dominance is crumbling in real time. This is quoting Tucker now in this new interview out this morning. He says, what we in this country refer to as the post-war order, the institution set up in the wake of World War II to keep the world peaceful and prosperous, and the United States at the top of the pyramid, and that would include the dominance of the dollar, the SWIFT system, NATO, and all of that appears to me to be crumbling, he writes. This is my view of it. I've wanted to travel and see if this is in fact happening, and he says it is incredibly troubling for the future of the U.S. dollar. Good morning. Been buying African resources for only pennies. Whatever was discovered in Africa, be it oil, gold, rare earth minerals, or uranium, European countries would come and buy them at thousands of times lower prices. It's because of history's unfair and exploitative pacts European colonizers forced African countries to accept in return for their freedom. But history is being rewritten now in Africa as Niger has raised it as a powerful county, keeping France in its place. Earlier, France used to buy uranium at only 0.80 euro per kilogram from Niger and sold it to other countries at prices tens of thousands of times more. But how was it done and what's the background of the story? Let's find out. Since the coup in Niger, the international political landscape was expected to change for good and forever. Experts said that from that point on, the world's history won't be the same as it was. Expected to change for good and forever. Experts said that from that point on, the world's history won't be the same as it was. The power balance will change because African countries will want to keep power to them. This will be done by getting over centuries of exploitation, stopping it and using the resources for African countries' welfare. Until now, whatever precious resource was discovered in Africa, European countries would jump and try to buy it for pennies. Secret agreements were made and resources were bought at unfairly cheap prices. As African countries were colonized, when they were about to get freedom, they were given so in return for exploitative pacts. One of the terms of the pacts has been to first ask the former colonizer to buy the resources. In other words, if gold or uranium is discovered at some site, the former colonizing power will be asked to buy it. When it buys, it does so by paying thousands of times less than the real price. This was done with Niger. France made agreements with it to buy its uranium at a cheap price. However, this has been changed as a coup has taken place in Niger, making European countries panicked as they no longer would be able to exploit. In a groundbreaking development, a leading player in the uranium industry has taken a significant step toward ensuring fair compensation for its invaluable natural resource, uranium. Numerous reports indicate that Niger's uranium company has substantially raised the price of its uranium, soaring from a mere 0.80 euro per kilogram to 200 euro per kilogram. You should know that uranium plays a key role in the green revolution, becoming a crucial source of clean energy. Not only that, but it's widely used in cancer treatment, naval propulsion, 
and nuclear weapons. Hence, it becomes a precious element which is not only precious today, but also in the future. France was getting it for pennies from Niger and was using it to get clean energy or to sell it, making staggering revenues. However, following the military coup in Niger, which led to the removal of President Mohamed Bazoum, uranium prices experienced a slight uptick. Now many analysts are predicting even more substantial gains in the future. This was because everyone knew France and the world would no longer get uranium at cheap prices. Now Niger is raising its uranium prices to capitalize on the growing demand and ensure a fair market valuation. The previous program significantly lagged behind the global market rate and failed to reflect the true worth of this resource. To illustrate just how meager Niger received for its valuable uranium over the years, consider this. A French multinational group in the nuclear energy market extracted 114,146 metric tons of uranium in 2010, equating to an export value of 3.5 billion euro. However, Niger received only 459 million euro in return. Hence, Niger's decision to raise uranium pricing to align with global standards is undoubtedly fair. It was much needed decades ago, but during all these years, hurdles were created in Niger to destabilize the country and force it to think about increasing resource prices in any way. Now, as Niger will get a fair price for the uranium it will sell, the revenues could be used to invest in critical infrastructure projects and social development initiatives. Unlike earlier, when profits made through Niger's uranium found their way into France's treasury, from now on, they will come back to Niger. Here's a remarkable price increase could set a precedent for the global uranium market, influencing pricing strategies and negotiations in other uranium-rich countries. France, a significant buyer of Nigerian uranium, may express concerns about the price hike. However, while it might cause alarm in France, it also opens possibilities for a more balanced partnership and has the potential to positively impact the global uranium market. This proactive move not only strengthens Niger's economic prospects, but also serves as a compelling example for other resource-rich African nations. It encourages them to pursue greater economic autonomy and long-term stability by demanding equitable resource pricing and diversifying their economic strategies. Niger has the upper hand to decide the price and make Europe buy it. Because Europe, and especially France, is dependent on Niger's uranium. It's because since every European country could get uranium at the cheapest prices, more attention was paid to the supply chain with Niger. Now, as prices have increased, France has no other option but to buy uranium at a fair price, which aligns with the international set price. Let's say if it wants to show its anger and find another option, it will still have to pay a higher price because, in the international market, the price is already high. Staying with Niger would be the best idea as it offers a well-established supply chain. In France, there are growing concerns about the dependency on Niger's uranium and the potential consequences for energy independence. But it cannot really do anything. Uranium is a crucial resource for powering French nuclear plants and has been sourced from Niger for over four decades, primarily through the French nuclear fuel cycle group Orano, formerly known as Areva. Orano, a multinational company that is 90% owned by the French state, operates three uranium mines in Niger, with only one currently in production. The reason why France cannot leave Niger's uranium, even if it is offered at high prices, is simple. France has invested in Niger's mining sector. Perhaps that's an edge Niger can use and leverage to keep France as a market to sell its uranium. Orano owns 63.4% of the air mines, 59% of the Akokan mining site, and 63.52% of the Imuraran mine. All these mines, whose major share are owned by French companies, are still located in Niger, making France dependent. Instead of shifting to another uranium seller, it will be wise for France to stay in Niger and start following Niger's law to have a fair trade. Hence, despite the recent political developments in Niger, Orano has announced its intention to continue its mining activities. In other words, it will buy uranium at new increased prices. But this was not an easy task. The commander in Niger had to first make France know what Niger is capable of. Hence, upon assuming power, the military halted uranium exports and later issued a 48-hour ultimatum for the French envoy, Ambassador Sylvain Ite, to leave the country. 
This was done so France could know now the time of exploiting Niger like war booty was over. Mohamed Lawangaya, a former Nigerian energy minister and the former secretary general of the Organization of African Petroleum Producers, expressed the widespread sentiment, stating, everyone in Niger feels this partnership is very unequal. Gaia added that if Niger were to decide not to export uranium to France, it would have a profound impact on France but minimal consequences for the Nigerian economy. He emphasized that nearly 90% of Niger's population lacks access to electricity, and the exploitative pricing means that Niger receives insufficient income from its exports. That was the reason behind Niger's poverty. Despite being one of the most resource-rich countries, Niger was one of the poorest. It created a paradox-like situation where we are confused to understand how this works. Well, it's because whatever resources Niger produced used to end up in France and other European countries at cheap prices. The extra profits, which were actually of Niger's people, went to European countries' coffers, but no longer after this point on. Do you think other African countries should follow suit and say no to Africa's exploitation? Should other African countries join Niger and form a powerful alliance to get reparation from European countries? Let us know what- Breaking news. Revolutionary pan-Africanist Kemi Saber warns France that Africa will give them the stern flogging they've been begging for. Neo-colonialism has met its match in Niger. A mass protest erupting outside a French military base in the West African country with the pan-Africanist Kemi Saber taking the stage warning Paris that Africans are ready for a fight. Every person has the right to taste freedom. All people have the right to taste independence and to regain their dignity. And if France doesn't want to allow Africans to breathe, we're going to force it to listen to us. We are a new generation, a generation that does not fear blows, a generation that does not fear sanctions, a generation that does not fear death threats or persecution. Enyame to support his faults uh, of Niger, who are fighting against the French presence. The Pan-African Kemi Seba immediately joined the Compatao judgment in front of the French press Enyame, his story for a joint protest meeting resembling a term against France, Africa, and French imperialism. We support General Tiani. We support the military who took charge of their responsibilities. They listened to the cries of the people, and they decided to stop the mechanism of neocolonialism. We say to France and we say to the West, don't make the mistake of trying to stop the revolutionary process. Well, the uh, demonstrations come on the heels of reports that the uh, French ambassador in Niamey finally took heed, packed his bags, and returned to Paris on Wednesday. New video dropped on my YouTube helped me get to 1,000. US pays Kenya $100 million to invade Haiti under the guise of peacekeeping. For Kenya's willingness to consider leading a multinational security support mission in Haiti. The United States stands ready to support that mission by providing robust financial and logistical assistance. And we intend to work with the United States Congress to provide up to $100 million in support. And we, work, we urge others in the international community to follow Kenya's great example and to step up and provide more personnel, equipment, support, training, and funding. No, we won't be used by America to attack our brothers like what Kenya and ECOWAS are doing. Kenya is ready, Kenya is willing to lead that multinational peacekeeping force. You hear that? New video dropped on my YouTube, help me. See y'all, see fam, I told you about that dude, Kenya and President. I told you about him, told you he was no good, and the people of Africa need to get rid of him. They need to get rid of his power, his leadership, because he needs to go. Because he going out fighting Haiti that's my my kinfolk that been oppressed by the Caucasian man. And they won't, and then the, the Caucasian man using Kenya to be a puppet to fight black on black crime.
over white supremacy. You see the mindset is that fam? I don't understand that. How you supposed to be your brothers and you got these guys over here want to kill somebody that never did nothing to you or whatever. And when somebody say, go do it, they'll go do it. These are the puppets. These are the crafty councils. And these are the handkerchief Negroes I tell you about in Africa. And if the military don't do nothing about Kenya and the rest of those clowns that's falling behind America policies, because the Most High is showing y'all who it is. The Most High is weeding them out. So it's up to y'all, Africa, and, and the leaders and all that to go on to get them because they're going to be a cancer in the country. Again, they're going to be the cancer of Africa because as long as you got them leading, then you got America in some kind of crafty, manipulation, wicked way trying to oppress and get their hands back onto Africa. The earth is given to the hands of the wicked. And the wicked have their wickedness doing their wicked for them. When I'm home, chilling, I'm always tuned in to stay. He has the hottest podcast out there. Oh, yes. Very informative. When I'm home, chilling, I'm always tuned in to stay. He has the hottest podcast out here. When I'm home chilling around, I stay tuned to the Fade Podcast. It's the hottest message out there. And uh, when I'm at the spot just chilling, or when I'm in the car just driving around, I always listen to Fade to keep it real. He said it was real. And that's one of the hottest podcasts around. I definitely suggest it. Check them out. I'm about to get on their ass this time. I'm about to get on their wrong. The police can kill a man on camera and get qualified immunity. And I'm tired of beefing with my own kind. I'm trying to find some unity. Tired of the foolery. The system abusing me. I got to ride with the tool of me. This shit ain't cool to me. But I'll be damned if I let you niggas make a fool of me. So I keep two on me. Uh, I done came a long way from the block with breakdowns. Finally opened my eyes when I had my daughter. Got tired of them shakedowns. The way I survived the game is still pain in my heart. I got a lot to say now. And I'ma show my whole ass on these motherfuckers. I ain't about to play around. Whatever happened to freedom of speech? Cause they telling niggas what to say now. When guilty ass to want to hear the truth, try to act defend the shit pitiful, if I was you I'd be miserable, this war we fighting is spiritual, in other words I'm doing God's work when I turn thoughts into artwork, my words fly like darts work, specifically designed to hit the target, they don't even want to teach history the way it's meant to be because the shit is heartless I might not change the world but it's a chance I can spark the brain that's gonna get it started many die for me to walk like this, for me to talk like this, but the peace to Marcus uh, got my eyes behind the scope and I ain't taking number here, shot I got great aim, but my four five still came with a red dot. I got in this game, and I put this bitch in the headlock. Members of the local Sikh community burned India's flag outside the consulate office in downtown Vancouver. This comes a week after Prime Minister Justin Trudeau revealed the Indian government may be behind the murder of a Sikh separatist leader in Surrey. We are here today to demand expulsion 
of Indian High Commissioner Sanjay Kumar Verma, who is responsible for assassination of Nijar on Canadian soil. Hardeep Singh Nijar was shot and killed outside a Surrey temple in June. India has denied allegations of any involvement into his death. By murdering Hardeep Singh Nijar, they could suppress our voices. But our voices are only going to get louder and we're only going to uh, continue his cause even more with more energy, more activism and speaking about what's happening against us in Punjab. There were similar protests elsewhere in Canada. In Midtown Toronto, they spit on an effigy of the Indian Prime Minister. And in Ottawa, they gathered outside of India's High Commission. In this escalating political rift between Canada and India, both sides have expelled diplomats and travel advisories have been issued in both countries. There's been extrajudicial murders been going on, there's foreign interference from India going on, so while there has been a sense of satisfaction, there has been um, a quick turn to upset and anger that has taken this long for the Canadian government uh, to even acknowledge what we've been saying for 40 years. People here say they will continue to fight for Sikh independence and they will not be silenced with fear of retribution. Grace Key, Global News. So everybody wants to know what's going to happen. Here's what's going to happen. Uh, we're going to secure our border as part of any effort to keep the government open. I want to keep the government open and I want to close the border when it comes to legal immigration. If this is not a crisis, this is not an emergency, what would be? Here are the numbers. In August last month, 232,972 people came across the border illegally that we know of. That's a 365% increase since 2020. It's the sixth month in a row that we've crossed 200,000. We have 151 people we identified that were on the terrorist watch list. In FY22, we've had 2.4 million people come across the border illegally that we know of. <clears throat> Over 6 million since President Biden has been president. That's bigger than the state of South Carolina. This is a problem that we're going to address uh, before we pass any permanent funding for the government. The House will insist upon it, and we're going to insist upon it. The supplemental sent over by President Biden made things worse, not better. This was his chance to work. See what you see, fam? They holding the government hostage over illegal immigrants. You see how they, they don't care about the common man, how it affect the common man and the working people. They call, they would this, this, this bogus because it ain't gonna affect their pockets, man. So, y'all y'all see how they feel about the common man and common woman, don't you? Let's analyze. With us to fix the problem. What's in his supplemental? Not a dime for the things that really matter. As a matter of fact, in their supplemental, they didn't put any money for enforcement, detaining violent criminals, or fighting cartels. They allowed money for enforcement, the ICE money, to be reprogrammed to community residential facilities to help with the cost of housing illegal immigrants. Let me say that again. They had a chance to fix the problem. Their solution is to defund ICE and put more money into community facilities. They've just uh, announced 460,000 Venezuelans will be given temporary protective status. I project in about two months, we'll have a lot more Venezuelans. If you think it's just a bunch of Republicans complaining, you're, you're wrong. This is the mayor of New York. September the 10th, just a few days ago, New York City will experience a financial tsunami. The migrant crisis will destroy New York City. Now here's the Biden answer. Leave them all in Texas. They have a remain in Texas policy. Well, Texas ain't gonna accept that, I don't think. Uh, the National Guard's being called out in Massachusetts and New York. Why? Because Texas is not gonna bear this burden by themselves. For our two senators from Texas, we've got your back. Your governor's doing the right thing. 
So we got a chance to fix this problem and we're going to take advantage of it. There will be an effort to keep the government open, probably to November. In November, we'll have a chance to do things more thorough. But I promise you this, there's not going to be a solution to keeping the government open and fully funded until there's a solution to our border crisis. To my Democratic friends, you've had a chance to do this and you've done nothing. I want to keep the government open, but I want to close the border to illegal immigration. So my colleagues on the Democratic side tweeted out, we need solutions, not grandstanding uh, PR events. We've been around since the election. Name one bill that's being proposed in the Judiciary Committee to fix this problem. So here's our commitment to the American people. We're going to work to not only fund our government, keep the government open, deal with the real emergencies, but we're not going to allow the border to continue to... See, they sound like they dictating the world. They supposed to be working for us, but it seems like the opposite. We working for them. You know what I'm saying? Where is the common man and common woman voice to this? That's what I'm saying, fam. We got to get out of this delusional state of these people and how they run this government, man, and get out of this, man. And feel good about our stuff, our own stuff, our own nation, our own government. Let's analyze. Be chaotic. We're going to bring solutions to the table, and there are solutions out there. If you don't change policy, you're not going to fix this. Why do we have so much illegal immigration? The Biden administration took every Trump policy at work and replaced it with magnets for illegal immigration. We're going to shut those magnets down. Senator Graham mentioned a number of numbers. Let me mention three. Seven million border encounters since President Biden has become president. That includes people who literally turn themselves in because then they then claimed amnesty knowing that they could exploit our broken asylum policies in order to permanently reside in the United States. But it also included one and a half million gotaways these are people evading law enforcement, and frankly, I think you can surmise they're probably up to no good. And it could be that maybe they're uh, carrying some of the fentanyl that took the lives of 71,000 Americans last year alone. The second number, and I mentioned a few, a few others, but the second number is 108,000. That's how many Americans died from drugs smuggled across the U.S.-Mexico border last year alone. That includes the 71,000 dead from fentanyl. And then there's a number 300,000. That's the number of unaccompanied children who were placed with sponsors in the United States. Do you know the New York Times did a great series of trying to find out what was happening to these children, and they documented the fact that an 85,000 phone calls to the sponsor 30 days after the child was placed with the sponsor, there was no answer. And in, unfortunately, they were also able to document forced labor. But the Biden administration has simply lost these children and does not consider it their responsibility. They can't tell you whether they're going to school. They can't tell you whether they're being exploited, whether they're being sex trafficked, whether they're being neglected. They just can't tell you. And frankly, they don't care. So to me, that's the message that the Biden administration has sent for the last almost three years now. They don't care. If they did care, they would do something about it. We're here to work with them, if they will work with us, to try to create a lawful, humane, and safe, lawful, humane, and safe legal immigration system. That's what our country needs. That's what we do not have now. Senator Cornyn mentioned the 85,000 children that the federal government, that HHS and the Office of Refugee Resettlement, that is there in HHS, they have lost these children. Now, I have the second letter that I have sent to Secretary Becerra asking for information on this. I asked about it in Finance Committee. I could not get an answer. He refused to answer the question 
where are 85,000 children? He said he was not aware of that number and of these children being lost. So I sent him a letter. And the response I got was a non-response. So again, I'm asking for clarification on this. Senator Cornyn laid out for you how they have tried to follow on with these children. What we have found out is that they loosened the vetting requirements. Now think about this. There were requirements on vetting these sponsors. Well, that was taking too much time. Just like they say DNA testing at the border takes too much time so that your certain children are not being trafficked. So they loosen these vetting standards. Then you have people that may not be qualified that are applying to be a sponsor so that children can be into labor gangs, into gangs, into sex trafficking. But the issue is, all of this has come up with 85,000 children out of the 300,000 children that they cannot locate at this point in time. It is so important that we secure this border, that we make certain the American people know that we know who is coming into this country and their reason for coming, and that the unaccompanied alien children, the UACs, who come here are placed with someone who is going to actually take care of them and not use them for profit or for other motives. We're facing an unmitigated disaster at our southern border. Illegal immigration is the worst in our nation's history, and it's indefensible. All of us have been down to the southern border. I spend a lot of time on our southern border. John Cornyn and I together brought 19 senators down to the border to see firsthand. You cannot see what is happening there and defend it. One of my recent trips to the border, a reporter asked me, said, Aren't the policies of Democrats more compassionate, more humane than you mean Republicans? I just started laughing. I said, you know who doesn't believe that anymore? Democrats. Incredible new video showing Italy's Stromboli volcano erupting, sending up clouds of ash. You can see the volcano spewing those dark clouds while the volcano produced flashes of volcanic lightning. The Stromboli volcano started erupting up, located off the coast of Sicily. Officials say the intense explosive activity started happening before a larger explosion occurred in the crater. The volcano has also triggered an earthquake and a tsunami. This super volcano in Italy may be about to erupt for the first time since 1538. Now, if that happened, we could see 100-foot tsunamis or possibly even a global winter. And we could see volcanic gases launched high into the stratosphere. Now, a state of recent earthquakes in the area has scientists concerned. Hopefully, we can avoid something like this happening, but only time will tell. Follow for more content. Catania International Airport in Sicily suspends flights until 1 p.m. on the 14th of August after another eruption of Mount Etna due to the eruption of Mount Etna. Flights at Catania International Airport in Sicily, Italy have been disrupted until 1300 hours on the 14th of August. Check your flight. Warning transportation environment at event. Sicily's Catania Fontanarossa Airport, CTA, has announced that it will close its airspace and suspend all flights until at least 1 p.m. on the 14th of August, following another eruption of Mount Etna. Expect flight delays and cancellations in the next few hours. The disruption is expected to continue even after scheduled flights resume as airlines work to reduce passenger crowding. Authorities may extend the lockdown in the short term, especially if the outbreak spreads further. Confirm your flights on the CTA by at least the 14th of August.
Do not check out of your accommodation before confirming your upcoming trip. Ahead of Italy's biggest holiday, volcanic smoke from the outbreak has caused flights to be cancelled, delayed or diverted. Sicily's Catania and Camiso airports were closed following the eruption of Mount Etna on Sunday evening. Italy hadn't even recovered from the floods when a new natural disaster struck the country, the largest stratovolcano in Europe, Etna, began to erupt. It happened on May 21, 2023. The airport in Catania suspended flight operations due to ash that covered the runways. We can see a synchronization of climatic disasters and their intensification all over the world. The causes of that and the way out were announced on April 22 at the International Forum Global Crisis. There is a way out. Watch the forum and spread... The 7th Moscow Financial Forum is being held in Russia's capital with the National Prime Minister Mikhail Mishustin and other prominent officials among those in attendance. The forum this year has focused on national economic and fiscal policies as well as the long-term sustainability of the country's financial system amid a global transformation. It has included representatives of the federal and regional governments as well as business leaders and CEOs of local and international corporations. Russian Finance Minister Anton Silyanov said that all BRICS countries are actively discussing the use of national currencies in cross-border transactions, with that topic expected to be high on the agenda of the next BRICS summit. We are reconfiguring all our Western connections to the Southeast, and this trend will continue. As for the alternative to SWIFT, within the BRICS organization, a number of countries have their own such systems. Yes, we are now developing settlement systems within national currencies, using national systems for transmitting financial messages. We are trying to implement our system for transmitting financial messages. Our Chinese partners have their own system. Other BRICS countries are either creating or have systems. So for now, this issue is a topic for discussion at the level of the financial departments of the BRICS member countries and will be next year one of the issues on the agenda. Niger versus neocolonialism. That's the message of continued mass demonstrations in the West African country against former colonial power France. The rallies follow the departure of the French ambassador who complained to his country's media about how Niger's new government treated him. We were collectively in danger. We came very close to the tragedy because there were more than 6,000 people who were there to fight and who were there to enter the embassy. Very quickly, Nigerian companies that delivered us food ended up no longer coming, one after another because they were dissuaded or even threatened. We had to get food and water ourselves by showing a little ingenuity. The biggest goal was to make me break down and therefore get me out. So the French ambassador to Niger landed back in Paris on Wednesday and is already giving interviews to the French press, setting himself up for the inevitable book and movie deals, painting himself as a real Bond, Jacques Bond. Sounds like that's going to be quite the blockbuster movie. Basically the story of a guy sitting in an embassy being catered to by staff. Some of them have to leave to go back to Paris, but he hunkers down with the guy who brings him his Chardonnay. They can't even get Uber Eats deliveries though, and they cry about that. Half the movie would be them desperately trying to get their favorite croissant and baguette delivered. What a roller coaster of suspense that would be. Can't wait to hear how their ingenuity finally came through for them, as the ambassador says. A French bourgeois finally reunited with his favorite food. Sounds like Academy Award material right there. And those 6,000 people outside who wanted him gone, he says, so badly apparently that they didn't do anything for nearly a month despite Niger's new management ordering him out of the country and asking the country's police to remove him at the end of August. President Emmanuel Macron was asked about France's recent bad breakup with Niger. He said that France was ending its military cooperation with the country and repatriating its ambassador along with around 1,500 troops. It's about time, since France was already dumped a month ago and Niger had been threatening to get Paris's tent off their lawn. Macron said that France's military presence in some of its former African colonies, including Niger, was to combat terrorism, adding that without France's presence, quote, most of these countries would have already fallen prey to territorial caliphates and jihadists. 
Oh yes, thank goodness for France, whose anti-terrorist mission was such a resounding success that the United Nations peace operations advised the Security Council in May 2023 that, quote, insecurity in the tri-border area of Burkina Faso, Mali, and Niger continues to grow. Macron said in finally bringing the ambassador home, quote, we are not responsible for the political life of these countries. In that case, why is France constantly trying to dictate to African nations what they should or shouldn't do and be partners with? Most in the wake of the management change in Niger, there was pressure from Macron on France's ECOWAS's pals, so that's the economic community of West African states, to basically do a counter coup. And Macron did not have anything to say about the role of Paris's Washington allies who trained some of the new Nigerian military leaders both in country and in the United States and whose troops not only remain in Niger but have also resumed intelligence and reconnaissance missions according to the Pentagon earlier this month. Deputy Assistant Secretary of State Ethan Goldrich spoke with Drew's spiritual leader reiterating our support for Syrians' freedom of expression, including peaceful protests in Suwaida. Protests erupted in the southern Syrian city of Suwaida due to the country's economic challenges. And predictably, Washington has openly expressed its support to the demonstrators. Let's now explore the underlying reasons for Syria's economic difficulties. Because while U.S. authorities assert their support for the Syrian population, their actions seem to conflict with their so-called assistance. Just recently, the U.S. introduced a new bill as part of its strategy to dissuade other nations from normalizing relations with the Syrian government. The U.S. must limit any sort of normalization of relations to the criminal Assad regime. There is no reason why our nation should grant this bloody dictatorship international legitimacy. This bill would prioritize the efforts needed to limit our recognition of this anti-democratic tyranny. So, the U.S. supports the Syrian people in their fight against economic struggles. But anyway, they will keep on slapping the country with more sanctions that have far-reaching effects on the population and would further undermine the complex dynamics surrounding the situation in the country. What we do not intend to do is to express any support for efforts to normalize uh, relations uh, or rehabilitate uh, Mr. Assad uh, or lifted a single sanction uh, on Syria, or changed our position uh, to oppose the reconstruction of Syria until there is irreversible progress toward a political solution, which we believe is necessary and vital. It's also important to note that in addition to the harsh sanctions imposed, the United States supports the Kurdish-led insurgent group known as the so-called Syrian Democratic Forces. That relationship has not only inflamed the civil war in the country, but has also enabled the U.S. to maintain a presence in approximately one-third of Syria's territory, particularly in eastern regions, where a significant portion of the country's oil resources are situated. And of course, Washington finds no issues when their Kurdish allies suppress the local population in the areas they control. But going back to that apparent U.S. strategy of deliberately causing economic hardship in a country and then appearing as supporters of the demonstrators voicing their concerns over these economic difficulties is a familiar tactic. Like, for example, with Venezuela, when the U.S. applied sanctions against the country and fueled protests openly siding with the demonstrators. And again, the same scenario with Iran. So Syria is back under U.S. radar. Um, U.S. is back fomenting trouble in Syria, this time to try and stop the attempts by Syria to rejoin the international community. You know, recently, um, two Chinese uh, brokered business, the, uh, Syria has rejoined the Arab uh, community, you know, international community, and uh, moves are now being made. Assad is making moves right now to um, fully rejoin the international community, trying to uh, strike deals with China. Assad was just in China, I think, uh, about a week or so ago, you know, trying to rebuild um, the country's image in the eyes of the world. And uh, the US does not want that. 
So they have, um, you know, reactivated some of their groups, their sabotage groups in, in Syria. Right now, people are beginning to, um, the protest is developing. You know, it's ongoing right now and they expect it to worsen as time goes on. And um, expect some more activity by terror groups who America, of course, will call uh, freedom fighters. You know, expect those ones to rejoin the free. Now, this is what America does all the time. What they're trying to do right now is foment a lot of trouble, cause economic hardship, which they have been doing with the debilitating uh, sanctions on Syria. And um, ginger the people, get the people to rise against the government, then they will come in and claim they are on the side of the people, trying to help them um, reclaim their freedom. Meanwhile, they are the cause of everything that is going wrong there with the sanctions and every other thing they're doing. It's, it's the same playbook that they use all over the world, you know? So this is what the African countries that are now trying to fight for their freedom should watch out for. Right now, they've stepped away. The West have stepped away, acting like they've given up. But look for these things. First, they will start with the sanctions. Then when things get bad enough, your people will start complaining. Then they have some, you know, Asian provocateurs they will have in there to start riots, to start protests and riots. You know, something dangerous happened in America now. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. The MAGA movement. Not every Republican, not even a majority of Republicans adhere to the MAGA extremist ideology. I know because I've been able to work with Republicans my whole career. But there's no question that the Republican Party is driven and intimidated by MAGA Republican extremists. Their extreme agenda is carried out with fundamentally all of the institutions of American democracy as we know it. My friends, they're not hiding their attacks. They're openly promoting them, attacking the free press as the enemy of the people, attacking the rule of law as an impediment, fomenting voter suppression and election subversion. Did you ever think we'd be having debates in your stage of your careers where banning books, banning books and burying history? Extremists in Congress more determined to shut down the government, to burn the place down than to let the people's business be done. Our U.S. military, and this is not hyperbole, I've said it for the last two years, is the strongest military in the history of the world. Not just the strongest in the world, in the history of the world. The most diverse, most powerful in the history of the world. It's being accused of being weak and woke by the opposition. One guy in Alabama is holding up the promotion of every hundreds of these officers. Frankly, these extremists have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Were you properly informed about what is going on? Because we had a lot of debate at the beginning of this year in the parliament where we demanded full access to the contracts signed between these companies that produce the vaccines and the European Union. And I quote from an article in Euroactive who says the following in an article from January 22nd, 2021, that says the following. The contract signed between pharmaceutical company and the European Commission in November of 2020 was made available to MAPS on Tuesday in a redacted format after the company agreed to open the contract up to scrutiny. Say what? Say what? So you're imposing a medical product on the European citizens without them knowing what's in these contracts, not only them knowing, but us, we don't know. So after a lot of pressure in the parliament, as the article said, these contracts were disclosed to us and to the public. And I wanna show you some of those pages. 
And you tell me if this is okay for the European citizens to be exposed to this situation where they cannot come to work, they cannot enter the store, they cannot go with their kids to schools, where they cannot freely move from one country to another, unless in one situation is vaccinated with one of these products. So these are the contracts that were disclosed by the commission with the approval of the company. This is unheard of. And I will just show you the pages. These are the pages. You see? They call this transparency. So this is the fundamental principle, right? Of democracy. I'm asking you guys, is this transparency? Do you see anything? Because we don't.